Pastor Ed Taylor says everything in the church must be done decently and in order. Churches around the world and even around town are out of control and out of balance in the realm of these spiritual manifestations. You could walk into a service and never even be noticed because everyone is so hyper on expressing their giftings instead of caring about the people that have great needs before Jesus. And that those giftings are to be, they have a place. It's not that God would have us put them on the shelf and forget about them. They have a place in order for us to be a vessel for his love. Because without love, what good is it? We want to be careful not to be out of balance. This is amazing grace. Well, baseball season is in full swing, but imagine if there were no rules. The pitcher could throw from 10 feet away. The batter could take as many strikes as he wants, waiting for the perfect pitch. It would be utter chaos and certainly take away from the quality of the game. Well, the church needs a certain amount of structure and order too. And today on Abounding Grace, that rises to the surface in our study of 1 Corinthians. Pastor Ed Taylor is here to finish up chapter 14, and we'll begin at verse 8. He says, if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? How will the soldiers know if it's whether it's time to eat, time to get up, or battle time? Because the person with the trumpet has to make the right sound, understanding that that person isn't playing the trumpet for himself. He's not going out there for a solo on the trumpet and making a CD. Like the person that is, has the trumpet in the, in the military is there for everyone else in addition to himself. That's the point he's making. The person playing the flute is playing it for it to be enjoyed by everyone else, not themselves. He says in verse 9, So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, unless you utter those words that are easy to understand, how will be known what is spoken for you will be speaking into the air. There are, verse 10, it may be so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. And he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, again, he's concluding whenever he has these phrases, even so, so likewise, He's making the points and then we're going, yeah, I understand. Okay, now this is what it means for you. So even so, since you are zealous for spirituals, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. This is really the key. That on our hearts and minds, we want to help one another grow in the things of God. That's the key. That's the only reason why we're here. It's not for ourselves. It's not, Jesus did not come to take. Jesus came to give. When you start to have cloudiness in your mind about what it means to live for Jesus, what it means to serve him, 
what it means to live out your life. A lot of people are wondering, what is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for my life? And although you may not have crystal clarity on what that might look like, because a lot of times that question is, well, should I be single or married? Should I work here or should I not work here? Should I go to school here? Should I? A lot of those questions come up and God gives the answer over time. So just trust him and continue to ask and he'll give clarity. But I'll tell you, while you're waiting, let me make it very easy for you. The clarity of understanding the will of God for your life is to give yourself away. Simple as that. Be a giver and not a taker. Be a person that is completely sold out and sold over to the things of God. You're wondering, wait a minute, Ed, how does, what does that look like? I'll give you some homework. Go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and look at it from a different perspective. Just simply look at those gospels and write it down on a piece of paper. What did Jesus do? Just answer that question. What did he do here? He prayed for somebody. Okay, that's a good thing to do. Uh, he, he prayed for someone to be, okay, that's a great thing. Well, he healed people. Great, then pray that God would heal people through your life. Uh, he gave things away. Yeah, he went over to someone's house, ate with them, and told them about the Father. Great. And you start looking through the Gospels just simply on how Jesus lived his life. You'll understand the heart of the Father. You know why? Because Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Just a little twist on your devotions. You want to know how it, how it is that Jesus gave and didn't take? You want to know how it is that Jesus lived out? Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where he said the Son of Man, as he came, he came to be a servant. He, he came as the servant of all. You want to see what that looks like? Then just follow the life of Jesus. And you'll see. When his disciples were confused, he stopped and explained it. When they were fighting one another, he got in the middle, stopped the fight, gave him clarity. When a little kid came to him with food, he used that little kid, just everything that little kid had. He didn't shoo the kid away. Oh, you don't have enough food. He just took what the kid had and used it. That'd be a great attribute just in your own life, just to use what you have. God will bless it. He'll multiply it. He'll bless you. So go through this, maybe going through the Gospels and seeing what it is that you could let it, verse 12, be zealous for spirituals. Because I think after we've studied the spiritual gifts, after we've looked at the manifestation of the Spirit, we're all hungry for it. We all want to see the work of the Spirit in our lives. Great. Then as you're seeking God, then never forget you're doing it for one another. It's a great, great way to be right in the center of the will of God. And I believe there are many churches and believers today that have lost that desire to edify the church. They've lost it. Churches around the world and even around town are out of control and out of balance in the realm of these spiritual manifestations. You could walk into a service and never even be noticed because everyone is so hyper on expressing their giftings instead of caring about the people that have great needs before Jesus. And that those giftings are to be, they have a place. It's not that God would have us put them on the shelf and forget about them. They have a place in order for us to be a vessel for his love. Because without love, what good is it? We want to be careful not to be out of balance. When, when a church is like that, out of control, and they're just off in various manifestations of the Spirit or, or what they perceive as manifestations of the Spirit, and they're just up and kind of not really sensitive, then, well, unbelievers are just turned off to that stuff. Like, what is this all about? I don't understand. And then, you know, what, what, what's needed is for the believers to be built up and fed, and then you'll find that unbelievers are very attracted to the love of God. Very attractive. So balance is important. We'll see some more balance here in verse 13. Therefore, with all this in mind, here's the conclusion. Therefore, 
Let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the result then? I will pray with the spirit, but I also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, but I also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless, otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed, which is unbelievers, say amen at your giving of thanks since he has no understanding of what you're saying? For you indeed give thanks well. In the exercising of tongues, that's a great way to give thanks to God. But the other is not edified. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet, in the church, in the gathering, when, when there are groups of people together, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, don't be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes, but understanding, be mature. A person has control of their own faculties as it relates to the gift of tongues. A person can say, well, the Spirit just overtook me and I had no control. There's five I wills, excuse me, four I wills from verse 15. You can look at them for yourself. It expresses a personal control. You can't go out of control and then say, hey, brother, you know, it's a little out of control. Oh, the Spirit made me do it. No, 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 no. You chose to do that. You have the ability to control. The Spirit of God isn't going to come over you and, and take over, man. Chase you into the church, take over and give you the shimmers and shammies and whatever, man. And just make you shake and go crazy. And what's going on? It's the Spirit, brother. It's the Spirit. No. Somebody wake that guy up and tell him to stop. It's time for Bible study. He's drawing all attention. If somebody was to do that, just get up right now and just, no, 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 no. I'll tell you exactly. I'll stop. Say, so what's the interpretation? There's no interpretation, and we stop completely, and one of the pastors will take note of who that is, and after service, they'll take their hand, kind of walk out with them, and explain them to them what the Bible says about what they just did, just standing up and interrupting the Bible study. I don't believe, and I don't see it throughout the scriptures, I don't see an example of the Holy Spirit ever interrupting himself, and the Spirit of God has set this time aside for the teaching of the Word of God, and if truly God has gifted me with the gifting of teaching, then prayerfully, that's exactly what I'm walking in right now. And the Spirit of God is taking His Word, ministering not only in the room, but downstairs and throughout the overflow and out on the internet and eventually out on the radio. And the Holy Spirit's not go, whoa, whoa, let's just get up and draw all attention to that person exercising the gift. Everyone, if somebody did it back there, they, everybody would turn around. Everything would stop. The, those of you that were just ready to receive that nugget of truth, oh, it's lost because so-and-so is in the back yelling out a tongue. And I'd have to stop and we'd all call, you know, we'd all come back and okay, oh, everybody come back now. And the Holy Spirit doesn't interrupt himself. It would be what the Bible would call out of order. That would be an out of order utterance. And he explains what that out of order, order utterances look like. Where the people are getting the attention and not the Holy Spirit. We want we do the same thing when you're looking at uh, the Holy Spirit interrupting itself. We, we do, at least we expect the same thing. And that is when you and I are talking to one another, we want to pay attention to one another. And we want, I want to listen to you. You listen to me. I answer you. You answer me. And there is, and then if we're in the room with a, a lot of people and we're having that conversation and somebody's messing around over here. So if somebody's over here, they, all of our attention is lost and we're not talking anymore. And, and it would be something that we, we, we do this in our natural realm. We give full attention, at least we should, give full attention to the person. Do, doesn't it frustrate you 
I know it frustrates me. I've seen this, um, not really here, but in other scenarios where I'm talking to someone, but the person obviously thinks that people behind me are more important than me. And so they're, they're kind of, you know, talking to me, but they're not really talking to me because they're trying to catch the eye of the guy that's behind me. And that, that's a frustrating thing to have happen. I've seen that in some circles that I'm in sometimes where the person with me is not giving me their full attention because they want to catch the eye of somebody that they perceive is more important or whatever. But I know that I want to take very careful, uh, I want to be very careful in that area that the person talking to me is the one that's important to me. That, that's who it is. And, and I want to be careful not to let my eyes wander around because people will be okay. They can wait until I'm finished with the conversation and then move on. You want to be careful of that. It's important to give full attention. I know that Marie did this not too long ago with me. I'm one of those guys that, can, that thinks he can do a lot of things at once. And, and so one of the things I do, or I did, I don't do it anymore prayerfully, is that while I'm talking to someone, my laptop's open, I'm reading email and talking at the same time. And I do that with Marie a lot at home. I used to do that with Marie a lot at home. And, and I thought it was just fine. And I'd miss a word here, and I'd miss a thought here, and I'd say, and she was very gracious with me for many years until one day she just took her hand and boom, put my laptop down. And I said, what are you doing? She says, I want you to pay attention to me. And that very act has now led me to, as much as I can remember to, that if somebody's talking to me and it's going to be for a length of time, I close my laptop because I really want to give full attention to the person in front of me. We do that in regular life. Same with the gathering of the saints where the Holy Spirit gets all the attention because we know as the Spirit of God is moving among us, Jesus, he's only going to point us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's not even going to take attention to himself. He's going to bring our remembrance and our minds unto Jesus Christ. So you're not going to see the Spirit of God interrupting it. You might see a few humans interrupt the Spirit of God, but it's not the Spirit of God. You and I have control of how these gifts are exercised in our lives. Now, pick up with me in verse 21. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? And the answer is yes. That's exactly what they'll say. There is no opportunity to preach the gospel or get their attention. They're just going, what is going on in this place? And verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, and the uninformed person, he's just using language for unbelievers. An uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's judged by all, and the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. When the word of God is taught, when the word of God is spoken forth, your secrets are laid bare. If not to all of us, to you. You thought you had already taken care of it. It was buried in the backyard, but it's not. It's not buried at all. Not a week goes by that someone doesn't have a comment or an email that says, you know, Pastor Ed, were you following me this week? Were you at the kitchen table this week? Were you there when I was at King Super? All the, you know, no, I wasn't. But I'll tell you who was. The Spirit of God. He's with us all the time. We can't run away from him. And the secrets of our hearts are laid bare. Now, I know that this is a difficult section of Scripture because there seems to be a 
seeming contradiction. I'd say this is probably one of the top 10 most difficult passages in the scriptures from verses 20 to 25. Because on the one hand, it says that, sign, that tongues are a sign to unbelievers, verse 22. And then in verse 23, it's a sign that you're out of your mind. So which one is it? Well, there's a couple of options here that I'll throw before you and you can go study it for yourself. Some commentators think this is a copyist error and that it actually would be better suited that tongues is a sign to unbelievers and they would rearrange verse 23 that the tongues are there to represent the, the fact that unbelievers are noticing that the presence of God is there. I don't think it's a copyist error myself. I think it's exactly what it says, and both sides are true, because in Isaiah chapter 28, what's being quoted has a context too. And what's being quoted in Isaiah is the warning, God's warning to Judah that they would soon be taken captive by the Babylonians if they didn't repent. So that was coming up ahead. If you guys don't repent, you're going to go live with the Babylonians. And God spoke clearly to them in the Hebrew language, so that they'd understand what he's saying. He spoke clearly to them in the Hebrew language to repent, and they decided not to repent. So that's the language they can understand. When they come to Babylon, and they live in captivity in Babylon, if you won't listen to language you understand, then I will send you to a land with a language you don't understand as a sign of my judgment. So it all has context too. And Paul picks up on that and says, look, look at the wisdom of God and understand what this gifting of tongues, what that looks like in the body. It's out of order. It's out of control. People think you're out of your mind. Clear speech for the children of Israel was a sign of God's blessing and grace to them. A language that they didn't understand was a sign of judgment. I, I, I lean toward the second explanation, but you could study it for yourself. Verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together... With each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. And here's the key. You might want to mark this, underline it, highlight it. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most, each in turn and let one interpret. That is the strict limitation on the exercise of the gift of tongues within the body, within the gathering. No more. Very, very clear. If there's no interpreter, verse 28, then let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let others judge. If anything is revealed to another who sits by, let him first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. You know, you wonder, how does that happen, Ed? It happens all the time. You guys are talking before the service. You're talking after the service. You might even in your, you're sitting next to someone and the Lord speaks a word from the pulpit and then like God gives you a word and, and you know, I know you're using your elbow and you're getting them in the ribs, but you actually have a word for them. Like that's exactly what we were talking about last night, wasn't honey? Yep. And so it happens a lot. It happens a lot where God is taking his word and then bringing it home. And there's order so that all, verse 31, might be encouraged. The spirits of the prophets. See, I mentioned earlier all those I wills. Well, here's the conclusion. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So please don't allow anyone with any bizarre behavior, blame it on the spirit of God. Because the spirits of the prophets, you and I, the spirits of those that are gifted by way of application, we have the ability to decide how to exercise. We have the ability to say this is... This is how God's going to use me. This is how I want to be used. And this is how I want to draw attention. We all, we all are responsible for our own actions. For God is not the author of confusion, but he's the author of peace, it says, as in all the churches of the saints. That's always, 
used by application. The context is in the body. When there's confusion going on, whether it's in the exercise of spiritual gifts or things that you just can't put your finger on, a little confusing, a little cloudy, I tell you right now, that's not from the Lord. Confusion, God does not author confusion. He gives peace. And when their confusion arises, it's always good to just stop. Don't make any big decisions. Don't make any drastic decisions while the cloud is hovering. Just stop and seek the Lord on that area for clarity and for peace so God can give it to you because he will. Now, verse 34, real popular verse today. Let your women keep silent in the churches. I don't want to hear any amens. Because this isn't an absolute statement. Don't let, don't, don't let the Bible and don't let critics of the Bible be used. You know, don't, don't let the Bible be used in any way to harm or hurt women. That's not the heart of Jesus. It's just not true. And the critics will come in and go, well, look, the Bible. So it's, it's not true. Just read the Bible and understand it in context. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace and part of our study in 1 Corinthians. You can hear it again online at calvaryco.church. Pastor Ed, as you know, many have arrived at false conclusions by taking a verse here or there out of context. Like this one in 1 Corinthians 14, women should remain silent in the churches. Would you take a minute to explain how considering the context of Scripture is a key in correct interpretation of the Bible? You know, there is a method, Larry, on biblical study and interpretation. And we at Calvary, we have been trained in the inductive Bible study method, where we make observations of the text, we apply interpretive questions to come to the proper interpretation of the text, so therefore we can make the proper application of the text. And in order to handle the Bible correctly, you have to take into consideration when it was written, by whom it was written, to whom it was written, uh, and what was the historical context of which it was written. And, and only then, once you find out what it meant to the hearers that received it, only then can you apply it to the first century. But many people skip over the historical context of a text, and just simply apply, in our case, you know, here in the United States, even though I know Abounding Grace is carried uh, around, the, around the world, but here in the United States, this American cult, church culture, we immediately apply some Western context to a text, when the Bible is really a, an Eastern text— it, it is really in the Middle East and the Eastern areas that the Bible was written in a Hebrew culture, in a Greek culture, in a Roman culture, so that we understand the historical context of the verse, of the section of Scripture, so that once we come to that conclusion, we can then apply it. So how careful we need to be. I, every one of us that handle the Bible, especially those of us that teach the Bible have to be very, very careful to consider the context of Scripture. And for example, this phrase, women should remain silent in the churches, is not, can't possibly be an absolute prohibition to any noise being made by a woman in the church, because previously Paul in Corinthians spoke about women prophesying in the church, and that cert prophesying certainly uh, includes uh, saying something 
within the context of the church. So context is everything. The historical context is everything, and how careful we need to be. So uh, I would encourage you, uh, a friend of mine, Pastor Skip Heitzig, has written a phenomenally great and thorough book, but simple. He has simplified the inductive Bible study method. You've got to get a copy of this. It's called How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It by Skip Heitzig, H-E-I-T-Z-I-G. Of course, you guys listening in Albuquerque on KNKT can go right down to Calvary Albuquerque to the bookstore there, but otherwise, order it online, uh, How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It. It's simple. It's a very simple introduction to this method, but it will forever change your life on how you read and study the Bible. That is very helpful. Thanks, my friend. Pastor Ed Taylor has written a helpful book called Ordinary Servant and is our featured resource this month. Contained in this book are wonderful lessons to help you love Jesus and serve His people. If you're wanting to make a difference in this world and become a man or woman that God can use to impact others, this is a must-read. We'll send it your way for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And thank you for your generous support. Your donation allows us to bring the teaching of the Word to your station and others like it each day. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.church. Well, that'll do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up where we left off in 1 Corinthians here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 